0: Good to see uh, many of your familiar faces out there. It's good to see some unfamiliar faces too. Uh, My name's Troy, I'm one of the ministers here, and we have the joy of looking at Exodus chapter 20 together and that first commandment, so please turn back to Exodus 20, and you have your outline as well, and there'll be stuff coming up on the screens as we go. You might be surprised to hear that I've never heard a sermon series on the Ten Commandments. Hand up here, has anyone actually heard a sermon series? Not just one sermon, but a sermon series on the Ten Commandments. I'm seeing just a few hands towards the back. There you go. And I've never preached on any of the commandments on their own. So here's a first for you and a first for me. But it's strange, isn't it? It's strange that some of the most famous verses in the Bible, some of the most important words in the Bible, well, we just, Christians spend so little time on them. That's strange, isn't it? And it's a challenge for us, isn't it? Not, not to go with, with the current culture. Phil was talking last week about our culture that just doesn't really know the Ten Commandments, and even Christian culture. People don't know the Ten Commandments. It's a challenge for us not to go along with that, but to actually know those Ten Commandments. It's a challenge, isn't it? To take them seriously, to think about them, and, and even to memorize them. And you'll see on your outline there, there's, they're printed down the bottom... Uh, and that's to help you. It's going to be there each week to help you to continue to memorize them. You can, like, cover them up and try and remember them if you want. I had the idea of leaving blanks, uh, but that idea was voted down. Uh, so, you'll have to do it with your finger or something like that. But today, we get into the first commandment. But first, let's remember, what, what are the Ten Commandments? Last week, Phil uh, took us through an overview of God's Old Testament law in general. Uh, we saw God's law revealing his character, what he is like, what he demands, his standards that he judges by. We saw God's law shows us what he requires of his people, even of humanity. So, how do the Ten Commandments fit with this, the law as a whole? Well, first of all, they're a foundation for the rest of the law. The Ten Commandments, they're like the summary of all the other commands, the hundreds of commands, they all spring out of these ten. God gives these commands first to kind of set Israel's hearts and minds in the right direction before all the other commands. Now, the second thing about the Ten Commandments is that it's a way to love God and to love people. Yes, the Ten Commandments, they're a foundation, but, but you can also, they, they also have a focus. You, you can summarize them. Well, actually, Jesus summarizes them for us into just two commands. To love the Lord your God And to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you look at, if you think about those two commands and the Ten Commandments, well, you can see those two commands in the Ten. So if you look at the first four there, look over them in Exodus 20, the first four we read out before, what are they all about? They're about loving God, about our relationship towards Him. And if you look at the rest of them, the other six, what are they about? They're about loving people, how you treat others, your relationship with others. So it's a way to love God and love people. But the Ten Commandments is also, thirdly, God's loving word to his people. They're more than just commandments. There is grace in God's law because he is revealing himself and his good ways to the people he loves. Look at it again in in Exodus 20, verse 1. This is how the Ten Commandments start. Then God spoke all these words. And if we just stop there for a second, we realize that the holy God of the universe speaks to his people. He graciously chooses to reveal himself and to speak. That's amazing in and of itself. And it's a great privilege for Israel, and even for us today, to hear his words. What does his word say? Well, verse 2, it doesn't start with commandment 1, does it? What does it start with? I am the Lord your God... Who brought you out of slavery in Egypt? Before God gives any laws, before He makes any commands, He reminds them of His grace and His authority. He reminds them of His grace that He's just saved them out of an awful oppression, out of slavery in Egypt. He's, he's bringing them to a promised land of prosperity and blessing. He reminds them of His grace, but, but He also reminds them of His authority. Because what did He do to get them out of Egypt? well he sent plagues he commanded nature and it obeyed and then he brought the waters crashing down on the egyptians he is the one with authority and so israel needs to be reminded before these commands god is the one who loves you and he is the one with authority so live for me he says That's a bit of a reminder of what the Ten Commandments are, and now it's time to get into the Ten Commandments. For the next ten weeks, that's what we're going to do. I hope you're keen and excited uh, and ready for the challenge that they will be. But what is the first command that we're looking at today? What is it, and what does it mean? The first command we're focusing on is in verse 3. Have a look there. It says, Do not have other gods besides me. And given what we've just saw, seen, that take, makes total sense, doesn't it? It makes sense that the first command that God gives to the people he, that he has just saved is that they worship him alone, that they, that they have no other gods beside him. Some of the older translations of this verse said, I don't have other gods before me which kind of makes you think, well, does, does that mean we can have like a list of gods and if just God's at the top, he's before all the other ones. Well, no, that's, that's not what he's saying, is it? What is he saying? He's not saying, put me first in the list. He says, there shouldn't even be a list. I should have no competition when it comes to your worship, to who your God is. He's saying, don't have any other gods before me, in front of me, none besides me. I shouldn't be able to see any other gods in your life, only me. Or to flip it around, worship me alone, God says. He says to Israel, I revealed myself to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I made promises to them and I've kept them. I've redeemed you out of slavery in Egypt. Now, worship me alone, he says. Well, perhaps we could finish there because... When we look at it at face value, it's not that difficult a command to understand, is it? Worship God alone. Have no other gods but the one true God. But we should spend some more time thinking about it so that we're really convicted of this command. So that we really know what it means and why God asks it. So let's think, why does God command this, that we worship Him alone? Why does he demand exclusive worship? Why no other gods? Well, there's two big reasons I think God gives this command. The first is that because there are, in fact, no other gods. Just think about the world that Israel lived in for a moment. Every nation of that time kind of had their own god or their set of gods. And there, there was this belief that every nation, they had their gods, you had your gods, and, uh, and those gods, well, they would look after you and you would worship them and, and your friends, your neighbours, they would have their gods and those gods would look after them. You know, Israel had just been saved out of Egypt. Egypt worshipped the sun god and the Nile god and, and other gods. Israel were going to Canaan, to the promised land, and the people there, they worshipped all kinds of gods as well. And there was this idea that, sure, you had your god, But the nation next door, they had their God, and you didn't want to upset their God, because what if He was stronger than yours, and He came and He beat up your God, and so bad stuff started to happen to you and your people. That's the world that that they lived in. But the God of Israel says, no, do not worship other gods, because I am the only one true God. God says this time and time again throughout the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 6 became the most important statement in Israel. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There is no other God. So worship Him alone, love Him only. Time and time again, God says things like this in Isaiah 45. There is no other God but me. A righteous God and Saviour, there is no one except me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. Or in Jeremiah 10, Yahweh is the true God. He is the living God and eternal King. The Apostle Paul picks up on those words in 1 Thessalonians 1. He says, you you Thessalonians, you have turned from idols to serve the living and true God. What does it mean that God is living and true? Well, it means that other gods, idols, that they are false and dead. They are not living. They are not true. And so God commands, worship me alone. Because there are, in fact, no other gods. That's the first reason. But the second reason that God commands, worship him alone, is because he alone is worthy. And it makes sense, given what we've just seen, doesn't it? If there is only one God, if He is the only one who truly is God, who is all-powerful, the the greatest being that has ever existed, in fact, He's existed for eternity and and will never die, that He is all-powerful, then He would be worthy of all worship, wouldn't He? If that's who He is. The only right response will be to worship him alone because he alone is the one worthy to be called God. But there's even more reason than that. He is worthy of all worship because of what he has done. Most of all in creating us and redeeming us. Think back to the beginning. Why did God create humanity? Why did he make Adam and Eve? Well, it was so that they would live with him under his word obedient to Him, fulfilling His plans for the world, bringing Him glory and enjoying Him forever. That's their chief end, their goal. That's why He made you and me as well. Have a look at what Paul says in uh, Acts 17. This is Paul preaching the gospel to the religious pagans in Athens. He says, from one man, Adam, God created every nationality to live over the whole earth. And he's determined the appointed times and boundaries of, of where they live. He did this, why? So that they might seek God. And perhaps might reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us. God creates us. God cares for us. So that we might turn to him and worship him. Well, what do we do? we we'll all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have turned away to worship other gods instead of Him. And so He has been at work to redeem humanity. This is another reason, the biggest reason, why He is worthy of all worship. He created us to worship Him, and then He redeemed us to worship Him. Look again at Exodus 20, verse 2. Uh, Right before He commands, worship me alone, what does He say? He says, look at what I've done for you. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. God commanded Israel to worship him alone because he had saved and redeemed them. And if you haven't read the book of Exodus, go back and and read it tonight, read it this week, and you will see the mighty hand that God had as he pulled his people out of slavery in Egypt. He crushed the Egyptian army. He sent plagues. He he fulfilled his great promises to Abraham. So he says to Israel, worship me alone. I have loved you and saved you. But How much more reason do we have to worship God alone? Because he has sent Jesus for us. Because he has redeemed us not from slavery in Egypt and human oppression, but from slavery to sin and death and hell. Have a listen to Galatians 1. Hopefully, you read this in your gospel team this week. Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God the Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. For us, God is worthy of all our worship because he sent Jesus to redeem us, to die for us. And so He is gathering each one of us, He is gathering a people to Himself to spend eternity with Him, enjoying Him and glorifying Him forever. How can He not be worthy of all worship? Because He redeems us. Well, that's the second reason for this commandment, worship God alone. The first reason, He alone is God. The second, He alone is worthy. So, let's think now. Let's pause and think about what that means for us. What does it mean for our world? What does it mean for, hum- for us as people or in our modern culture as well? Well, it means, first of all, that this commandment leaves no room for polytheism, the belief that there are many gods. Uh, you can't just add the God, of your, the God of the Bible to the list of gods that you worship, like some religions do. Uh, I work in the office, just in the other building, And from time to time, someone comes and knocks on the door and said, I've just moved here from another country. Can I please come into your house of prayer so that I can pray to my gods and yours too? Uh, And they say to me, well, who's the God of this place? I will come and pray to that God with you. I've shown them the building before and then I've said, you should come on Sunday. That's when we come together and hear about our God. Uh, And not many have taken me up on that offer. But we keep praying for those people, don't we? But it leaves no room for for that kind of attitude, for that worldview, because there is one God who has revealed Himself. The first commandment, it also leaves no room for atheism. I hope you think that's fairly obvious. There is one true God, and He has revealed Himself. And to, to say He doesn't exist, well, that is to deny Him and His commands and to ignore what he has said, how he has revealed himself. The first commandment leaves no room for the idea of pluralism, the idea that there's kind of truth in all religions, and that all roads lead to God. Again, one true God reveals himself, and here he claims that all other gods, all other ways are false. False. So I don't know if you've heard about these before. There's these things called interfaith prayer meetings or, or interfaith gatherings that happen all over the world and in Sydney and Australia. Doesn't, doesn't this command make those a bad idea for us as Christians to be a part of? By all means, we should talk to people of all kinds of worldviews, all kinds of faith. We should talk, we should debate, we we should we should argue with gentleness and respect. But to pray with them as if their prayer to their God was the same as our prayer to the one true God, as if both were valid, that's a denial of this first command. There is one true living God. And in one sense, these are some of the more more obvious ways that this commandment might apply to us. Don't worship the gods that other people believe in and worship. Don't follow the false religions of our world. Don't be the fool who says there is no God. And you might find yourself having some of those beliefs. You might be here and you're still investigating Christianity and you come from one of those those backgrounds or maybe you're still in that mindset. This commandment, this is the word of God and it calls on you to repent, to turn to Christ, turn to Jesus and find forgiveness for worshipping gods other than the one true God. But there's more subtle ways, isn't there? There's more subtle ways that we break the first commandment. There are gods that we serve, not gods of other religions, and not even statues of, made of wood or stone, but the gods and idols of money, of power, or sex and relationships, or, or family, or food, or comfort, or career. Or we simply make ourselves the god of our lives. And this is, this is the kind of world we live in, isn't it? People want to be in control. They want freedom. They want to achieve all their hopes and dreams and they'll do anything to serve those hopes and dreams. They worship themselves. And so it affects the decisions they make about life, about work, about money. And we as Christians, this can seep into our hearts and minds too. And so our decisions about church and and how we treat people, we're really just serving ourselves. And we put on this veneer of worshipping God, when really we just, we're just worshipping ourselves. The other thing that, that people can do, that we can do, is to, is to worship a God of our own making. You know, we can claim to worship the one true God, we claim to follow Jesus, but then we take out the bits about them that we don't really agree with. We, we ignore the scriptures that make us uncomfortable. We listen to teaching that, that our itching ears are desperate to hear. And we picture God in a way that, that makes us feel good and happy and we serve him in the ways that are easy and and it turns out we're not worshiping the god of the bible are we We're not worshiping the god who has revealed himself but some other god of our own imagining who is not god at all anything can be an idol if we bow down and worship it and next week phil will take us through the second commandment and we'll be thinking more about what are the idols that we make and that we bow down to But the first commandment, it just answers the question, doesn't it? It just says there's no room for any of this. It says, worship God alone. have no other gods besides me. So I wonder, how does that leave you feeling? Because how many of us have worshipped God alone every day of our lives and in every way? how many of us has never bowed down to some other God, either a false God or some other God that we've made out of something in life? We need to be aware of the attitude of the Pharisee. The Pharisees look down, on, they look, so they look down the list of commands and they say, yep, I've done that one, yep, I've done that one. And they look at the first commandment and they say, oh, I've never bowed down to any statues. I don't worship the God of the country next door, so I must be good. But instead, what they should have realized is that this command condemns every single one of us. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in one way or another, all of us have worshipped things that are not the true and living God. You remember last week, God's law is not a way to earn God's love. We can't tick the box and say we've, we've done it. No, God's law is a way for us to see our sin and our need for Jesus. And so if we are asked the question, do you worship God alone? The answer has to be no. My heart is divided. If we were asked, do you see him as worthy? Do you treat him as, he's, as he deserves? The answer must be no, I don't always. If we are asked, do you worship him as you were created and redeemed to do? We must answer No. Not always. The right response to to God's law, to the Ten Commandments, and this first commandment, is to cry out to God for mercy. To say, I am a sinner and I need your grace. And the good news is, of course, that there is grace. The good news is that Jesus fulfills the law. Remember Matthew 5, last week, Jesus says, I've not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And so the question we have to ask, to finish with, is how does Jesus fulfill this command? How does Jesus fulfill the command to worship God alone? Turn to uh, John 14, we read that earlier. Uh, We're going to have a look at just a few verses in John 14 that are going to show us how Jesus fulfills this law, this command. And we'll see two of, hopefully, the most wonderful things that we have seen today. John 14, who knows what page it's on, shout it out. That might wake us up a little bit this late night. 993, page 993 of the Church Bibles. Let's think, how does Jesus fulfill this command to worship God alone? Well, number one, Jesus worships God alone. Do you remember the first and greatest commandment that Jesus pointed out? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus did that. Jesus worshipped God alone. And you don't have to read very far in the New Testament to see that that is true. And you don't have to turn many pages to find yet more examples of Jesus doing just that. Do you remember when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the desert? Satan led him up to the top of a mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and he said, Jesus, if you just bow down to me, I'll give them all to you. Jesus said, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he did not bow down. Or look down at John 14, verse 31 in your Bible. This is Jesus speaking about himself. The disciples are confused. They they don't know where he's going. They don't know the way to go there. But he says, verse 31, I'm going away. I'm going to my death and resurrection. Why? So that the world may know that I love the Father. Just as the Father commanded me, so I do. This verse and hundreds more like it across the whole New Testament show us Jesus worshipped. God alone. He did not bow to any other so-called God. He always did what pleased his Father. And he is the only one who ever has. Which means that he kept this commandment for us. He did what we could not do. And he did that so that he could die to pay the price for our worship of false gods. For our idolatry, yours and mine. So, this command, it urges us to cry out to God for mercy and to praise Him because that mercy is available. Jesus kept this law for us. He died so that we might be forgiven and free for breaking this very command. Does that mean we don't have to worry about who we worship now? We can worship any God, God will forgive us, it's all good not at all it means we are forgiven and freed freed so that we can strive to live for god to worship him alone to remove all competition to him we won't do this perfectly before jesus returns but jesus is our example and his spirit is in us and god is working to conform us to the image of jesus day by day that is his promise and Jesus, the image of, of God's Son, well, he worshipped God alone. And so that is the work that God is doing in us. And that's the first way Jesus fulfills this law for us. He keeps it perfectly as our saviour and our example. But the second way Jesus fulfills this law is that Jesus alone is the way to worship God. Now come with me, look at John 14 in your Bible again. This is Jesus again talking to his disciple disciples, it's the night before he was killed. What does he say? John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. He goes on to say, we read it before, if you have seen me, you have seen God the Father. I am in God the Father. He is in me. We are one. And so that means that Jesus alone He is the way that we worship God. Jesus, he came as the promised Messiah who would bring God's rule and blessing to his people. He came as the only way to be made right with God through his cross. He came as the new temple, the place where we come to to offer worship to God in spirit and truth. Jesus came as God the Son in the flesh to reveal God to us, to send his spirit to unite us to him. He came as the way, the truth, and the life, and as the only way to God. And so now, there is a way to come to God, forgiven, freed, and able to worship Him alone. And it means that all that turn in trust to Jesus, all who trust in Him, they worship the true and living God. That is the wonder of the gospel, that we can worship the true living God. And praise God for that. But it also means that those who, turn, who don't turn to Jesus, who don't trust in him, they do not, they cannot worship the true and living God. Why is that important? Well, it means that any faith, any person who does not accept Jesus as the only way to worship God, well, actually, they're breaking this very first commandment. Sometimes you hear people say that, that all roads lead to God or, or sometimes people say even more specifically that Jews and Christians and Muslims, that they all worship the same God, don't they? Why? Because, well, they all worship one God and all of those three religions draw their, their heritage back to Abraham. But the reality is that what Jesus says clearly in the New Testament is that those who reject Jesus as Saviour and Lord They don't worship the same God as us. Because Jesus is the way to worship God. He came as God in the flesh to the world he made. He came to his own, the people he made. He came to his own, the Jews. And they rejected him. They killed him. How can we say that those who reject Jesus worship the same God? We can't. And so that means that we need to keep preaching the gospel, don't we? Preaching the gospel of Jesus alone to our world, who so desperately needs him. So desperately worships other gods than the true and living God. And so we need to preach to anyone, to Jew and Gentile, to Muslim, to Aussie, to Asian, to anyone, whoever. And that means that if you're here from any of of those backgrounds or from a religious or non-religious background and you are yet to accept that Jesus is the one way to worship God, well, you need to know that the door is open and that Jesus invites all to come to Him in faith to find forgiveness and be made right with God and then worship Him alone. Come and investigate Jesus. Put your trust in Him and be saved. But it also means that we, those who have turned to Christ, we can worship the living and true God. As we come to Jesus, the first and the last, the only name under heaven by which we can be saved, as we come to the one who has fulfilled the law for us, we can be saved. We can know God and worship him alone through Jesus. Let's praise God for that. Our Heavenly Father, we give you praise for the fact that you did not leave humanity in the dark, that you did not leave us in our sin and pour out your wrath, but that you sent your Son to redeem us. We thank you that you have made a way for people to know you and to worship you, to be forgiven by you, and to spend eternity with you. Father, we pray that you would help us to worship you alone and put to death the idols that we so easily serve. And we also pray that your gospel, your good word, the message of salvation in Christ, would go out to our world, even this week as the life course starts, and that many would come to saving belief in Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.